but one of the things I was curious about, you know, right now we're having a lot of discussion around uh, what kind of town we want to live in. It's people, different people advocating for whether we need more revenue. And um, so this sort of begs the question, well, what is tax, Franklin's tax rate compared to other towns? Steve Sherlock here for Franklin Matters, Franklin Public Radio, anywhere on the internet, WFPR.FM, and in the local Franklin Mass FM radio dial, 102.9, here in studio with Max Morangello. Max! Hey, thank you so much for having me, Stephen. Absolutely. So for somebody who may not know who's this Max Steve is talking to, just give us a little short story about you. Yeah, so I've been a longtime Franklin resident. I am a recent graduate of Bridgewater State University, where I graduated with a degree in political science with a concentration in public administration, where I learned a little bit about sort of how to run regressions, uh, SPSS, sort of data analysis software, that kind of thing. And I sort of take it, have taken a knack to it. Um, so I've been involved in Franklin for a while in sort of different town groups. Um, I'm also a big ad advocate for the mental health community as well, and I've done some stuff around that. Um, so yeah, I, I'm really happy to be here, and thank you so much for having me. And I think you've got some analysis around the tax, tax base, tax rate, and we can walk through some of the numbers and some of the insights, or lack thereof, because you find out that as you go into this, well, mm, that doesn't really work so well. This looks a little better, but... And then uh, I think along the way, these are correlations, not necessarily causation. Yeah, right? it's so, important not to confuse the two. Yes. But uh, yeah, well, I think one of the things with the regressions is you can sort of tease out some of the different variables and that kind of thing. Um, but one of the things I was curious about, you know, right now we're having a lot of discussion around uh, what kind of town we want to live in, it's people, different people advocating for whether we need more revenue. And um, so this sort of begs the question, well, what is tax, Franklin's tax rate compared to other towns? And, you know, I think one of the things many people are curious about is, um, do Franklin residents pay their fair share of taxes? And that's a normative question. There's no really right or wrong answer to mm -hmm. that. Um, but we can sort of, sort of take a more uh, objective approach is, do we pay more or less compared to other towns? Um, but, you know, towns are different. And so in the past, town leaders have created a list of towns similar to Franklin to sort of compare Franklin to those towns. And, you know, uh, some of those towns have different attributes. They might be, look similar, they might uh, be nearby, but it's really kind of arbitrary. So it can kind of lead to cherry picking, it can be kind of subjective. So instead, what I wanted to do is I wanted to look at all of the towns. And let's look at all the towns. And let's the let, full state. The full state, all 351 towns. And let's uh, control for the things that make them different. And by doing that, we can see, okay, is our tax rate higher or lower once we control for those things? Um, and so the first step is to figure out, okay, well, what factors uh, in between the towns account for the difference in tax rates between them? So what, what variables are there that explain why the tax rates are different? And so I pulled a bunch of data from the Department of Revenue. I also looked at the Department from the Census, as well as election data from the Secretary of State's office, just for, for fun. And uh, one of the biggest, the biggest finding was that the, the biggest uh, predictor of the FY 2025 average single family tax bill was the FY 2020 per capita income, which was the data they had available for that year. And, uh, and looking at that, we see there's a relationship between, a very strong relationship between how much people uh, make 
and uh, the average person in the town makes and the average tax bill. And that's because, you know, if you earn more money, you're going to have a bigger house. <laughs> yeah, and there's certainly can be some discussion around, you know, the chicken and the egg, which comes first. Right. But I think you've got some educational aspects in there as well. So it kind of makes sense that somebody with, you know, a more advanced degree, higher ed, is going to be able to make more money and thereby is going to be able to afford a bigger house and thereby have the wherewithal to support the town more. Absolutely. And so... When we look at the, this relationship, there's a, a chart, and we see, look at the relationship, and you know, I'm using something called a linear regression. That means that there's a straight, you know, a straight line between, when you look at the relationship, it's a straight line between income and tax bill. And what actually when we see is that there's a curve, so that um, you know, uh, sort of in the beginning, there's more of a sharper increase in uh, the tax bill in, early on when there's uh, an increase in income. And then eventually that, that, that rise starts to moderate. And so so a, to re-say that, as incomes increase amongst towns, there's a kind of a straight relationship for the tax bill. But at some point in time, the relationship kind of changes and curves a little bit. That's right. It starts off as straight and then it starts to curve a little bit. Um, so I realized, okay, well, if we want to explain the data a little better, we've got to sort of transform this data a little bit. And... In reality, it's not just this, the it's uh, not just the single family uh, average tax bill, but it's the square root of that number. That and by plugging that square root of that number into the formula, we could actually predict what the tax uh, the tax bill is going to be for. Mm -hmm. If we actually take the average family tax bill and we find the square root of it, we could actually predict uh, what the um, tax bill is going to be for that town. Okay, so listeners, you don't have to do the math. <laughs> Max has already done that for us, but to the extent that this kind of mathematical relationship is there, th this is interesting. Yeah, and I can actually go through the steps, and we can actually explain 77% uh, of the variation between towns uh, for the average single-family tax rate just by looking at income, the income of that town. And I want to make it clear, this is the average income for the town and the average tax rate for the town. If you do this for your personal income and your personal tax rate, it's going to be it's no, gonna nonsense. Work. It's not yeah. going to work. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the model that we have sort of gave us a few numbers to sort of use to transform the data. So we can actually do the math. They could do it for any town on the list using the data that we have. Um, and so Franklin's, tax, uh, Franklin's per capita income is... $58,842. From a certain point in time. From uh, from 2020. Data, okay. Uh, and so the first step to sort of transform the data and predict the tax rate is we find the square root of it. And so that gives us a number 242.57. And the model tells us to multiply it by 44.74. And that gives us a number 10,853. And we're going to subtract what's called the intercept, which is 3,072. And then we get our prediction for what Franklin should be based on what we know about all, all the towns. Little drum roll. Predictor, predictor. predictor Here we predictor. go. Here we go. $7,781.06. $7 As an average tax bill predicted by your little model. Yes. So what do you think the average tax bill is? It's a it sounds higher. like it's close. How close are we? <laughs> So in reality, the average single-family uh, tax bill in Franklin is $7,470.70. So it's in the ballpark. 
So it's actually only $311 less than we'd expect. This is about a difference of 4%. And if we look at all the towns together, and we sort of do this for all the towns, and we compare what we expect it to be versus how it is, we rank, in terms of lowest tax rate, we rank 134 out of 351 towns. So on the scale of 350, with the highest being at the 351, yes. at the number one spot, yes. we're 134 up from the bottom. Right. Mm, so one third, effectively, or not even, yeah, just still about one third. That's right. Yeah. So you know we're we're a little lower. We're kind of average, but we're a little lower than we could be or would would be average. Right. And like I said, this is a normative question. You know, so like we. You know, if, if we want to be average, yeah, it would make sense to go up a little bit. Should we be average? That's sort of a political decision to make. Well, that's a community decision. Community decision. To make. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's similar. I mean, there has been some studies, and I think even in the school budget discussions, um, their conversations with the uh, budget hearings between the FinCom and town council, it was the reference to the per pupil rate and where what at the 25th percentile um in terms of paying for our education and here you just calculated our tax bill is in the one third percentile effectively so we're in the same ballpark That's right so I, I think uh there are other factors that sort of uh can predict tax rates but some of them like they're not really as big of a deal as looking at just the um they're not as big of a deal as just looking at income. They're very, they only affect the results a little bit. Um, some of the ones you can control for that is, is like land area. If you have more land area, you're going to have a lower tax bill. But if you have higher population density, you're going to have a higher tax bill. And those are related variables. So you can actually also extrapolate population from that probably too. Okay. Um, yep. So, um, and then uh, there's also some demographic things like towns that have a larger percentage of people over the age of 65. It's probably going to have a lower tax bill. Um, that sort of would make sense to the extent that, you know, the senior population generally on fixed income, and again, generalizations, generally on fixed income, would be less likely to have the more income in order to afford or, or, or agree to increases if there were potential for those as well. Um, I think Franklin is relatively unique to the extent that, on the one hand, I know from the school population, we've got, call it 2,500, 3,000 families, and our senior population is growing to 25%, so it's almost like we've got, you know, a, a barbell. We've got two heavy ends on the barbell, and the bar in the middle is relatively uh, minor comparatively with the, with the two, I don't want to call it weights, but the two significant populations there between the families with kids and the seniors. Absolutely, and uh, the, the actually in the state too, I think you have um, families with ch own children of household are under eighteen years. So that means that families, people with families, sure, uh, have a higher tax bill um, typically. Um, there was some uh, sort of more political, sort of related demographics that might be related to things. That, uh, one of the biggest factors outside of income was actually the amount of people with a graduate or professional degree in a town. So, um, you know, that could be maybe they vote for, to more, for more revenue or more taxes, or maybe they're just more educated, so they pay more. 
Uh, that could be that to the extent that they not only have education, but they've got the higher ed, the grad degree, so thereby their income capability is more, and thereby they've got more wherewithal to afford a bigger house, and thereby bigger taxes associated with it. And then I guess the uh, the other thing is uh, there was some uh, another political question with regards to charter schools. Uh, I, I have data around like how people voted in each town for each election, and towns with a higher percentage of people who voted against tar charter schools had lower tax bills. I don't know the relationship there, but something there. There's something, something there, there for further study. For further study. Um, and then also towns uh, with the larger American Indian and the Alaska Native population had higher tax bills. I'm not sure about the relationship that either. And I, I think there are uh, some communities that have sp uh, special tax status. I don't know if that's true or not, but I wonder if that could play into things as mm -hmm. well. For further research. Uh, further research. And I want to also make it clear that we're talking about the tax bill, not the tax rate. Correct. So if you're looking at the rate, you might get something different um, because you're looking at the property times the rate to get the bill. Correct. Um, yeah, and that's one of the fun facts that I usually work with um, in helping the community on an annual basis to sex the tax rate, um, and it's based upon the levy the levy limit, the overall assessed value. So the Board of Assessors does their thing, crunches out the numbers. The town council and town administration come through, include the school budget as a line item, come through with our expected budget. And then that calculation of the expected revenue divided by uh, the required revenue um, becomes the tax rate. So as our assessed values are increasing, our rates are decreasing, and yet the tax bill will still increase. <laughs> so it's almost like while death and taxes, you know, the, the tax bill will always increase even though the tax rate decreases. And the same is actually evidenced in the data where if you look at the tax rate and you look at something called equalized value, um, this isn't relevant for the tax bill, but it is relevant for sort of the rate it is actually significant. It actually, the more uh, value of sort of property um, per town, the, the lower the rate. Yes. Because uh, the town has sort of is able to sort of capture that because it has more property to collect from. Yep. Um, yeah. It's a it's a larger numerator, and you've got the denominator to do the math and divide it into. So yeah, that makes sense. I mean, graduate degree is also uh, relevant for the rate as well, uh, according to some of the data I have mm -hmm. here. Um, I have some data around sort of the some fun facts around the what are the wealthiest towns, poorest towns, what have the highest tax rate, the lowest tax rate, that kind of thing. And sort of the, the, the wealthiest town in Massachusetts is Weston. And their income per capita is 430522 Per capita. And if you want to pay taxes there, you have to have a tax bill of uh, $23,893 So that's year. three times the Franklin average. Yes. <laughs> and then Dover, Sherborne, Wellesley, and Car Carlisle are also uh, uh, sort of the top five there for the, mm -hmm. the wealthiest towns. And the poorest towns, uh, one of these is an outlier at Gosnold. Yeah. They only have like 70 people, and they're all probably Gosnold's, retired. Gosnold certainly is an outlier to the extent that it's also an island in the Elizabethan Islands off the Cape and Martha's Vineyard in Nantucket. So, yeah, they truly are an outlier. They're a small place. 
Um, more birds than people. And uh, so their income per capita is uh, 1,229, that's it. Uh, and it's, it was so low that it actually screwed up the model and I got a neg negative number. <laughs> and so it kind of made me have to look at it twice a little bit. Yeah. Um, I, so, I think one could safely say they're an exception. <laughs> yeah. So the next one is Monroe, and they also have a low income per capita of 6345 uh, And their predicted tax rate is $491. And their uh, average single family tax bill is actually 1569 mm -hmm. uh, And then you also have Heath, Hancock, and uh, Goshen. Yep. And then uh, the towns with the lowest taxes, not adjusted for income, so we're not... We're not playing around with the model yet. We're just looking at ones with the lowest tax rate. And uh, the one with the lowest tax rate is Hancock. With uh, they, Their average income is uh, $16,835. Their average single-family tax bill is $786. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're out in Western Mass, north of Route 2. So they're out in the western part. And then Roe... Florida, Monroe, and Irving are all, all have the low, yeah, low some tax of those rates. neighbor Hancock, some of those are certainly in that western part, so I'm not totally surprised that they have uh, lower rates. Definitely more rural areas. In terms of towns at the highest tax rate, well, our friends Weston is back on that list with, uh, as I told you, a tax rate of uh, 23,893. Brookline is on the list with. Uh, Twenty-one thousand two hundred twenty-two dollars, but their income is only ninety-one thousand four hundred. Lincoln uh, is on the list, as well as uh, Wellesley and Sherborne. So now we're going to start looking at the income, and we're going to adjust for it, so that we sort of, after we control for income, we can sort of uh, see what has the highest tax rate and. That outlier, Gosnold, is on the list again, mm -hmm. so we're just going to ignore right. that. Yeah, we'll put them aside. We, we know what they are. They're, they're le legit, but for, not, for purposes of our discussion, it doesn't make sense to include them. Our friend Monroe is also, again, uh, in second for uh, highest taxes. Uh, Amherst, uh, is, has, they have an income of 21969 We'd expect them to have a tax rate of 3406 but their actual tax rate is almost, it's almost double, more than double that, 89,000, uh, I'm sorry, not that, so that would be a lot, 8,984. Yeah, Amherst, I wonder how much between Amherst College and the University of Amherst with the heavy well, college they, population there, how much that affects both the population because it's really seasonal, you know, mm -hmm. the, granted nine months, but... And the income categories of students historically are not really kind of normal, if you will. I mean, right. they're normal for students, but... They actually have five uh, campuses, I believe. And they, I think I, in Hamburst. In Hamburst, yeah. 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 I, I've heard them. Uh, they all are known for being Scooby-Doo characters, all the campuses. I don't know. I've heard that before. I don't mm -hmm. know. I know there's a lot of other, you know, Northampton, uh, Smith College. Mm -hmm. um, there's there's a bunch of colleges out there. I'm familiar at least of Amherst okay. and UMass, but there may be others. <laughs> Just, yeah. In terms of towns with the lowest uh, taxes adjusted for income, the one with the lowest is Rowe, out in Western Mass. Yep. Uh, their income is thirty-five thousand two hundred ninety-nine. We'd expect based on that that their tax bill would be five thousand three hundred thirty-three. 
their actual tax bill is uh, 1370 Wow. Um, we have Hancock, Florida, Irving, and Otis. Uh, Otis actually has, is probably the closest in income to Franklin. It's 41157 uh, We'd expect their predicted tax bill to be uh, 6004 but their actual tax bill is twenty-eight, twenty-two. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, those might be good opportunities to figure out, find out a little bit more about the individual towns, communities, and find out if there's some other factors that the numbers just aren't telling us immediately. In terms of towns that have similar income to Franklin, uh, we have sort of in between sort of 61,000 and 57,000. We have Lenox, Melrose, Ashlands, Burlington, Sutton, then we have Franklin, Orleans, Georgetown, Sandwich, Cummington, and Marshfield. And uh, of that list, the sort of the one with the highest tax rate is Ashland, with um, a tax rate of eight thousand one hundred and ninety-three. Oh, tax bill. Tax bill. That's right. Tax bill. They have an average tax bill of eighty-one thousand. They have an average tax bill of eight thousand one hundred ninety-three. Uh, the one with the lowest out of, out of those 11, including Franklin, is Cummington, and they have a tax bill of 4,112. Mm-hmm. Uh, of those 12, uh, Franklin has a little bit higher th- uh, on the list, but out of the total list, uh, you know, in its entirety, we're, mm-hmm. so we're, like I said, we're in the, uh, the uh, 0.42 percentile from the bottom. Right, so. right. The other thing that's interesting is, you know, we talk about taxes and sort of what, what's optimal for Franklin. And so our tax rate may be slightly lower than average, about 4%. But the, the other thing is that we have a lot more kids to educate. Mm-hmm. And as a percentage, uh, one of the big factors uh, for per-pupil spending uh, that I've looked at, so, so in looking at per-pupil expenditures, the biggest, one of the biggest variables is the percentage of people in the town that are going to school. Mm-hmm. Out, out of the population, sure. and, and towns that have uh, more kids as a percentage of the population, the, the tax base has to be split amongst more kids. Yes. So the per pupil expenditure is going to be lower. Right. Unfortunately, the it doesn't look like the town um, funding formula accounts for that as a percentage of the, you know, the students as a percentage of the population, and yeah. it should. Um, well, I think that's part of the discussion debate. I know uh, from what I understand, I'm certainly not an expert on the Student Opportunity Act in Chapter 70, but when it was redone, it certainly re-emphasized kind of the ability of the community to pay based upon the wealth and uh, assessed value factors, not necessarily the percent of the population factor. So maybe it had something else that would help us potentially? Yeah, so I mean, one of the ideas of Chapter 70 is an equalizer right. between, you know, you have some towns that have a higher special education costs, you have some towns that are poor, uh, they can't afford to educate their students as much. And this is another factor, you, you know, because, you know, you, you, we have this idea that it's a duty for us to, you know, pay it forward to the next generation. Mm-hmm. But if you have, a, if you live in a town that doesn't have a lot of kids, you don't have the ability to pay it forward as much because the kids are in another town. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so really, the state chapter 70 can be used, it could be used if it was ever reformulated to sort of allow people to pay it forward across towns mm-hmm. where currently they don't have that ability to do that. Right, right. 
Yeah, and I think, it's, if anything, it's, to my understanding, kind of like from a national question, you've got states' rights versus federal rights. Locally, you've got the community rights, local rights versus the states' rights. Not the state of mass or the commonwealth of mass rights. What can the state do versus what our individual <laughs> controls are? And that's a regular discussion. Clearly, DESE and the Department of Ed uh, sets a number of processes, and we've certainly there's been a a side topic about unfunded mandates coming from the state, et cetera, where they'll make some rule and then we have to fund it. Clearly the legislation has been effectively modified over time to uh, try and fund where those possible are to the extent that it is funded, then they become rules and regs. Um, so that's another open discussion too. So, so I think, you know, uh, our, if our taxes are a little lower than average, and if you look at our per people spending, it's a lot lower than average. If you're wondering why, where's the disparity coming from, that's where it's coming from, is mm -hmm. the fact that we have a lot more kids. And so it, the only way to, if you don't have state aid is, well, maybe we need to hire, I mean, it's to have a higher than average tax rate to spend the same amount per pupil. Mm -hmm. And the, of course, that might be a harder pill to swallow. Right. Yeah. Um, that's certainly part of the overall discussion uh, that did start with the joint budget subcommittee will be a continued discussion for a bit, but potentially this analysis and some of your insights will lead to other questions and maybe somebody else will say, well, have you looked at this? Can you, what do you, what do, you do looking at that? You know, mm -hmm. what do the numbers say? And uh, maybe through those conversations that can help, you know, effectively find, you know, a community solution because the community, whatever we decide, we're going to have to decide as a community for whether it's one Franklin or for all of Franklin, it's it's going to be an impact across the board. So, yeah. And I think in terms of those questions, like I'm happy to provide the data and share it with you uh, share it all on the sort of the Franklin Matters uh, web, website. Mm -hmm. um, and if you want to sort of analyze it and dig it in yourself and look for patterns, I, I recommend I use free software to analyze statistics called JASP, J-A-S-P. It's free open source software. You can do everything that I did. I can, um, you know, and the data, I'll, I'll provide links to where I got the data from and sort of the data that I have sort of cleaned up to, uh, so you can play around with it yourself. Right. Um, and sort of see for yourself what patterns are there out there and what, what, what is, what is, what's the story for Franklin? What, mm -hmm. so I'll, I'll tell the story of uh, the Franklin through the data. Well, thank you for doing the analysis and thank you for taking time to share. I, I've learned some things and hopefully the listeners will have as well. And this con discussion should continue and hopefully, assuming some folks follow through, um, we'll come back again and <laughs> see what else is coming out of the, the number. Absolutely. And if people want to learn more about me, I'm, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn at maxwellmetrics.com. Uh, and you can also, um, if, you, if you need any help with data analysis, if you're looking for someone to do data analysis for you, I'm, I'm available. So feel free to check out uh, my, my LinkedIn page. Excellent. And we'll include those in the show notes. Um, so thanks again, Max, for taking time today. Thanks. And for the listeners, we do this because Franklin matters. We are now producing this in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Public Radio. This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here, please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. For additional information, please visit franklinmatters.org. 
If you have questions or comments, you can reach me directly at suresteve at gmail.com. The music for the intro and exit was provided by Michael Clark and the group East of Shirley. The piece is titled Ernesto Manana, copyright Michael Clark and Tintype Tunes in 2008, and used with their permission. I hope you enjoy. By the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts for Franklin Matters.